I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. That experience was the one that rocked me to your sure. core, right, when you when you lose a child. And if you can make it through that and still get out of bed every day and uh, put one foot in front of the other, there's, there's nothing worse that can happen or that anybody could ever do to you. Candace McGraw is one of the very few women in the U.S. who is a chief executive of a major airport. She talks about how leaders set the tone for their employees. She's faced huge challenges, both professionally and personally. She leads without fear and trusts her instincts. Welcome, Candace. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. There are a lot of facts and stats on the airport and some of the history. I mean, I remember I've traveled a lot out of CBG, and I remember the days in the early 2000s and where you would go to the sea concourse and you could get to any city directly, you know, from Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And it was a hub. It was a hub second, uh, you know, second to Atlanta, you know, even surpassing DFW as a hub. Right. And so those were the good old days, and I think, you know, I, for one, took it for granted um, until, you know, the the Delta-Northwest merger in which slowly Delta started to re- reduce the number of flights out of, out of CVGs. But you were appointed as part of the uh, CVG International Airport as the top executive in 2011, and you oversee a staff of 480 employees. Is that right? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'll just, I'll turn it over to you. I'm so glad to have you here today, and uh, just tell me some things about the airport. Tell me about the growth. Tell me what happened with Delta and then how you built it. Well, it's interesting, um, taking a step back, and you you talked about the the big fortress hub days is the good old days. I'll say we're in the better new days now. Yes. So I I think it was great when um, Cincinnati, uh, the northern Cincinnati Northern Kentucky Airport was the hub for Delta. We had connectivity, of course, direct connectivity. Um, that's when uh, about ninety percent of our flights were from Delta, and about ninety percent of all of our people were connecting. So now we've changed these days. So we're about ninety-five percent local passengers. So people either coming or going from our local market. So we are truly this home town airport for people. Um, uh, Right now, we have more local passengers flying through our airport than ever before. So while we had many more passengers in total in years past, right, when it was a Delta Fortress hub back in, say, 2005, um, they were mostly passengers that maybe they were connecting passengers that start New York, come through the airport, and up in L.A., right? Now there are people that are friends and neighbors coming to and from the airport, and more local passengers now than ever before. So we're at about 9 million passengers, which mm-hmm. is a growth of about 56% growth in the last three years of passengers. Mm-hmm. So we've we've seen an explosion in passengers. The fastest growing airport. Fastest growing airport in, in the, the U.S., um, both in passenger and cargo last year. So mm-hmm. the passenger story is great. I Hopefully your listeners have um, appreciated or flown on a lot of the different airlines out of CVG now, right? Passengers have choice. Mm-hmm. And with that choice, the airfares come down. So that's all helped passenger growth. And we're also the seventh largest cargo airport in the in North America right now. Mm-hmm. And that'll grow as DHL and uh, Amazon Air, the two hub car- cargo carriers that will operate out of CVG, will grow. Right. So um, tremendous growth on the cargo side. So, you know, airport proper, we have about, you know, I'd say about 460, 480 direct employees. There are about 14,000 people, though, badged to work on our campus. And okay. we have seven 
7,700 acres with about 72 employers um, from the airlines on down to, you know, the concessionaires to the ground handlers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So we're really a mini city within a city. We actually have more land acreage than Florence, Kentucky, you know, a neighboring city Mm -hmm. of ours. So. Tell me a little about DHL and the growth and the cargo handling. I know that isn't always emphasized. And then let's talk about Amazon, too. Yeah, no. So the cargo story is a great one for CVG. Um, So DHL is the largest cargo carrier in the world. It's a truly global company. I believe they they operate in every country but two around the world. Um, They have what they call three super hubs, one in Leipzig, Germany, their second largest hub is at CVG. We are their hub for the Americas. And then they have one in Hong Kong. So in terms of the number of operations, we are their second largest operational world, so, which gives us tremendous global reach. Mm-hmm. So DHL operates about 50, you know, 50 plus flights a day out of CVG. And they operate, you know, in the evening, right, to connect up to the rest of the world. Um what DHL has grown exponentially in the last few years. They've done two huge expansions since 2010 and put about another $275 million of hard infrastructure into the airport. Um, but because DHL is a global carrier, what they would do is they would operate all night. So the planes would come in at about mm-hmm. 11. They'd scurry around like an ant farm, right? And then all the planes would go out about 6 in the morning. Well, the rest of the time, their facility sat dormant. So at the time, we negotiate, were negotiating the deal with Amazon Prime Air to build their hub at CVG, and we can talk about that a mm-hmm. bit. DHL and Amazon were negotiating in that Amazon uses the DHL facility during the when day the, yeah, when, when it was dormant, dormant yeah. right? So now it's, you know, it's a 24-7 operation. So that gave the ability for Amazon Air to get into CVG, be up and operational quickly, while they're building their hub. So you'll see all those prime airplanes in and out of the airport, um, but they're being serviced out of the DHL facility right mm-hmm. now. Um, they D, uh, Amazon's facility is under construction now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a huge right. project out of CVG, about a, a $1.5 billion project financed by Amazon. Um, and they are building their cargo hub, uh, the first phase of which will open up in third quarter of 2021. Great. And I know I saw in my research on you that you had a chance to meet the man, Jeff Bezos. Oh, my new BFF, Jeff. Yeah, your yeah. new buddy there. He, he was, it was a very nice surprise. He wanted to come in for the groundbreaking ceremony. Yeah, so, saw um, the photographs. Yeah, it was great. He came in and, um, you know, Amazon doesn't like to do things in a small way. So, you know, normally at these things you have a groundbreaking, you know, and somebody's with a shovel. Well, um, one of the folks decided to, uh, it would be fun if he would do the groundbreaking with a uh, bulldozer, with a uh, a backloader. So we put a big pile of dirt on the ramp and um, um, he actually had a little tutorial for about, you know, a few few minutes before (laughs) the groundbreaking on how to actually operate the piece of machinery. And then, uh, you know, he he drove in uh, on the bulldozer to surprise everybody. Oh, that's great. So it was a fun. It was That's a fun great. way to yeah. kick off the event. Yeah. So you have a big and responsible job. Grown a lot. Brought a lot of new airlines into the 
um, into the airport. It used to be people complained about um, the fares. Those have come down. Right. We are we are definitely the lowest airfare airport in the region, right, of the, okay. you know, say, five five regional airports that are within a two-hour distance of mm-hmm. us. But we're actually, we've been ranking within, when D- the DOT looks at airfares, they look at the top 100 airports. The lower on that list, the better you are. You know, traditionally, years ago, you know, a decade plus ago, we were number one or number, number two one, in yeah. terms of airfare. Um, we're traditionally now in the 60s, 70s, 80s. So okay. we're way down on the list. That's great. Great to hear. Yeah. Oh, one little stat people might yeah. want to know. If you're the average listener now is paying about two hundred and twenty to two hundred fifty dollars less a ticket now than they were three to four years ago, oh. so it's a huge difference, right? You know, for a family of four who wants to go on vacation, mm-hmm. you're saving a thousand dollars right off the bat, for, right. you know, that you can put towards your vacation. Mm-hmm. So all of that is contributing to a good passenger growth. Yeah, that's great, and I hadn't really realized what you said, which is. The people that came through Cincinnati never really got out of the airport. They came no, into probably yeah. Concourse C or B, whatever, right. Delta, and then flew back out. Exactly. But so. now 95% of the people come in, and the airport looks great. All the things oh, you've done you. inside are just wonderful. Well, you know, so the economic impact for this region actually grows when you're more of a local OND airport, mm-hmm. right, in that, um, you know, people park in our parking garages now, um, go to our local restaurants, use taxis, use Ubers, et cetera. Um, before all of that revenue, all of those visitors were just captured solely in the terminal. Now they're mm-hmm. spread throughout our our community. Yeah. yeah. We have a great reputation. Congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. No, I, I, I'm privileged to work with a really good, smart team, right? Yeah. They're the ones doing all the heavy lifting. I just yeah. I just get Same to, with um, me. Yeah. you know, have the privilege of leading them. Right. That's great. Your position um, and work is very public. It's a public company, but... You have talked about that it's a, even though it's public, you run it like a business, like right. a private business, exactly. right? Tell me about that. Yeah, well, you know, airports, you know, in the U.S. are normally operated by some sort of governmental entity. We're we're lucky here in, in the Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky region to be an independent airport authority. So I report to a board of directors. I am their only employee, and then I in turn you know, run the business, and it is very much set up like a business. Mm -hmm. So um, we are not dependent on tax revenues. We're actually a tax generator back into the community. We generate, you know, payroll taxes, property taxes, those income taxes, right, that people Mm -hmm. pay um, back into into the coffers. We're responsible for meeting our own budget, paying our own bills like every other company. So we have an operating budget of about $125 million for our business, right? And I have to pay to keep the lights on, et cetera. Everything that your uh, listeners in business have to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, we very much approach it of how do we keep our expenses low? How do how are we creative about generating revenue, Um that led us into getting into the land development business, right? Mm-hmm. We have 7,700 acres, uh, some of which was not needed for aviation, aeronautical purposes. Mm-hmm. So we said, all right, if we have to diversify our business, like all good businesses should be, um, what do you do? And that was our asset that we could exploit. So we've had some recent success in developing facilities like uh, two wafer facilities. We have a GE aviation facility under construction now. We have some other warehousing facilities. Um, 
we have a, a development pending um, and some environmental regulatory approval with Paul Hemmer's company. And I think that's another 207, maybe 210 acres that'll be developed. Okay. Right. We're, so we're trying to generate right. revenue mm-hmm. that's not solely dependent on the airline. So, that, you know, if the economy fluctuates, which it will. It will. Right. We have right. a sustainable revenue source right. coming you have in as well. another source of revenue. That's exactly. great. Um, you serve, I think, as are you still chair of the Airports Council of International North? Do I have that right? Right. Yeah. So um, there is an industry trade association called Airport Council International. They're, they are a worldwide organization and the, the sort of mothership, so to speak, of ACI World is headquartered in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Out of that, there are five regions of the world and we're, of course, situated in North America. So I've been the chair um, for the last two years. So uh, it's a two-year chair position. I'm the first two-year chair. I think you know, I jokingly said I had a greater learning curve, but they've recently gone to a two-year chair. Um and I'm privileged to be the chair of that organization. We represent all of the commercial service airports in the U.S. and Canada. Wow. So I want to say there's maybe about 405 member airports right now. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's really coalescing the, you know, the, from the large hubs down to the, you know, small general mm-hmm. aviation airports and what are those aviation issues, et cetera. Then I'm also on the world board, okay. which is interesting too. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, um, our airport, a CVG, is proudly featured around the world wherever we go for these world board meetings to from Mauritius, Africa to a meeting I just came back from in um, in Cyprus. I'm going to one in Bogota, right, talking about mm-hmm. international issues, what's going on worldwide on the aviation um, stage. And, you know, I sit at the table mm-hmm. with, with my fellow colleagues yeah. from around the world. So First woman on this, sharing uh, this? Uh, no, actually, I am the third woman, I believe, in their 70-year history, ah, okay. um, which is great. You know, it so is. Um, two of my good friends were, were predecessors of mine chairing that organization. And, yeah. you know, we um, have a little group that gets together and... and go over issues and they they continue to join us. Yeah, I want to get back to, to sure. that. Uh, we've talked about being a leader and this uh, this podcast is about women leadership, executive women that have mm-hmm. been, you know, successful. And we talked about as a leader we have to people are looking to us. Our staff is looking to us to you know, how what kind of mood is she in? Is mm-hmm. she you know, and sometimes even though things aren't going well or we are having a bad day, we have to keep the game face on and stay Always. positive, right? Always. How how do you do that? So, you know, I think um any leader, woman or man, um, sets the tone for the organization. Mm-hmm. And so you have to in my opinion, right, you have to be upbeat, you have to be positive, you have to be the the greatest cheerleader you can for your organization and you set the tone. Um so there are days that are that you know you might not be your best or there mm-hmm. you know might be some internal churn going on and I call that corporate theater, right? You just have to put your game face on, <laughs> show up and uh, sell it. Right. You know Shortly after I was appointed to my position, um, you know, Dan Hurley in town. Yes. Dan is, mm-hmm. you know, a historian. I knew him from Leadership Cincinnati, and he had a show on um, television. He wanted me to come on and, and talk about CVG. And I said, oh, Dan, I am not comfortable doing those kinds of things. That's <laughs> not my, you know, that's that's not my strong suit. And he basically said to me, you know, kind of um, – 
you know, put your game face on. If you, He said, if you are not going to be the advocate for CVG, then who is? So basically, man up and get in there and do right. your job. Right, you into so it. So it was, it was it. a good um, wake-up call to say, look, when you're the leader, you have to step out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and just get out there and, and, and put your game face on. Yeah, great, great advice. Uh, you received... Um, an award that you said you're very proud of, and that's uh, the bet. You're among the best bosses in Northern Kentucky, right? Tell me about that award. And- so, so I'm going to say it, it, it was the best boss in Northern Kentucky. It is the season. best boss. <laughs> the okay, best I wasn't boss. sure. No, okay, I'm glad a- you clarified no, that. You were the so- best boss of Northern <laughs> Kentucky. I think so. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I'll tell you. So I. I- been really fortunate in my career and particularly in this region I've, I've received some nice awards the one though that is truly special to me and and the the big prize when you won was a coffee mug which i have probably sitting <laughs> in my office but it, it um it says best boss of northern kentucky and it was uh something i don't even remember which group was running it it might have been through the inquirer or even you know through the kentucky um branch of the Enquirer. Okay. And it was all, you know, employee Employee votes, votes, Mm -hmm. you know, an employee nominated me, actually did a nice little rally around um, for all the employees and voted best boss. And it was just very touching to me because I truly love and respect the people with whom I work. Like they're a really good bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And it was very special to me that, that, you know, they, they felt, um, highly enough of me that, that they took the time to do that. Right. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, you talked about, I want to go back to the women of that, that head airports and oh, sure. that the women have a group. They gather yeah. and they, they have a little group on the side. Tell me about that that group and yeah. why, why it formed, uh, what you get out of it. Sure. So... Um, Traditionally, aviation has been a male-dominated industry. Mm-hmm. I think there are more women air- running airports now than ever before, but that's actually a, a U.S. phenomenon. I was going to say North American phenomenon, and it isn't, right? Because in Canada, there are only two women airport CEOs in Canada, one at a very small airport and then one at Halifax. Um, so in the U.S., we're, we're fortunate enough to have, I would say there's probably maybe... A good dozen and a half of us running um, decent-sized airports in the U.S. Um, when I go sit at the World Board table, there's only a, one other woman there outside of North America. It's it's a rare phenomenon around the world. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, I digress. We, we get together. Um, it's a great group of women sharing common interests, right, in, you know, our love of aviation, um, running complex businesses in a kind of highly politically charged environment Mm -hmm. in some cases. Um, We're all fairly similar in age, Mm -hmm. right? We've had some some similar life experiences. But what we do, it's great. We get together. Well, we have a conference call every other month Mm -hmm. just to kind of catch up, talk about industry issues, whatever is on anybody, share best practices. in the intervening time, if somebody has a question, you know, they're working on a particular project, a particular contract, you know, it's not uncommon to get an email blast from this group saying, you know, I need information on X, Y, and Z, and everybody chimes in. What we also do is anytime there's a conference or um, maybe, a you know, an industry function, we always take time to go for drinks and or dinner. We get together to do that. And then once a year, we go away together. One of the ladies will host the group, a retreat, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of somewhere in their city or near their city. Mm -hmm. And it's just a great way. I've made a a really 
good, lot of good, good group of friends. Yeah. And, you know, I referenced early two of the women who have since retired that had, had led this trade association. So some of the, you know, the retirees will join in mm-hmm. and join us on a retreat. And, um, mm-hmm. oh, that's, neat. you know, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's a, it's just a, they're really great, fun, interesting women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you see the breadth of their careers and yeah. just really supportive of each other. And, yeah, that's really what it comes down mm-hmm. to, I think, is the supportiveness. Oh, without yeah. a doubt, right? You know, right. I've had a lot of people, I don't know, maybe you have too, that have talked about kind of like being confronted by mean girls or, you know, how can women get along, et right. cetera. Do they really support each Do other? Do they really support each other? I mean, my experience has always been yes. Mm. I, you know, I, I, I have not. I, I don't think I've ever experienced the whole mean girl syndrome. I think I've all, these women are, you know, each other's cheerleaders, mm-hmm. best friends, a good go-to group of professional colleagues. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that yeah, in I, town, I, too. So Yeah, I have. I have, too. I've seen it in town. Um, I've found, though, that in business, uh, men seem to support other men in business. Mm-hmm. You know, they seem to be nor- more naturally able to to bond or whatever and Hmm. give each other business and help. There are stories that some of the women I've talked to have had about women don't always help other women. And so there are some stories out there. But I've had your experience in the gathering of women. My company has, you know, uh, mostly men. It's a male-dominated industry. But there's a small group of women like me that do mortgage banking. And we get on a conference call Mm -hmm. every once in a while. And at the conference, the production conference, Every 18 months, uh, we have a breakfast. So all the women kind of break off. We get our own room. We pay for it and everything. And then we come back into the conference, and the guys are all there, and they're looking at us mm-hmm. walk in. They didn't even miss us, for one thing. <laughs> it's like they didn't look around and say, where are the women? We were all gathering at a breakfast and talking just about production, about different things. How can we support each other? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that the fellas didn't miss you. Um, because this woman in, in aviation group has, bec- I think, because we've become so, um, I don't know, maybe friendly amongst one another, and we do make sure at each conference we do take time away. There's always some sort of wine or other adult beverage involved. We don't meet over breakfast. It's usually, you know, <laughs> drinks and or dinner. But the fellas now have become sort of jealous of this. They, they, you know, they sort of want to know what's going on what's when, going all, the, on? when right. all these women are getting together. Right, right. They'd be surprised. We don't always talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> I, we don't even think about them, to the truth be told. You know? <laughs> truth be told. Um one of the things I want to talk to you about is uh, in 2013, you had a pretty challenging experience, and it became public, and it was a, a board, uh, the, the board that you answered to, mm-hmm. the board was made up of a group where the structure is different now, and I'll give you a chance to talk about that, but a board member's private, he thought private phone call became very public, mm-hmm. and it led to... Um, you know, there was talk about ousting you and replacing you with somebody else and sabotaging your leadership, mm-hmm. really. And just wanted to talk about that experience, what you saw there, talk about it in your own, how sure. you saw it, and then what you learned from it. What did you gather allies to help you? What, tell me, just tell me about the situation. Sure. So um, it was sort of an unfortunate situation, right, in the, in, in my personal uh, history. Um, a number of years ago, uh, there was a different board structure at the airport than there is in place now. And I think it was a 
it helped contribute to the some dysfunction. So if you'll bear with me a second, yes. we had seven voting members of the airport board, all appointed by one one person. That was the Kenton County Judge Executive. Then you had an advisory board of eleven members appointed by a variety of other political constituencies. Mm-hmm. That structure had been in place for decades and decades at the airport. Over time, those 18 members functioned like one board. And so... So not the advisory board being separate from the regular board. Right. And so over time, it sort of morphed into one... It felt like one board. Well, then then you had... Fast forward to, you know, say 2012-ish or so, you had some of the folks on the voting board actually saying, wait, what are we doing with these advisory members? They really aren't board members. They shouldn't have an equal vote and or say. And so it was causing friction amongst the board members themselves. So that's never good. Then you had um, some of those voting members who um, who had a different point of view on how the airport should maybe operate than, than I did. And I, and I felt, frankly, that my team and I had developed a good strategy that really had been adopted by the board as a whole at the time that we were executing on. And for whatever reason, they felt that we should go in a different direction. I didn't. I personally didn't feel that that direction was the, the right one. I thought it was um, maybe regressing versus looking mm-hmm. to what the future of the airport could be. And you spoke up about be. this. And I did. Okay. And, and I think it, you know, it caused some friction and it, it caused, um, you know, it was the then chair and the vice chair. Um, the incident you were referencing had talked about um, getting rid of me and either replacing me with him, doing something, you know, not being transparent about it, et cetera. And that was sort of the final straw. This this had been going on for a long time. That incident became very public. There was a lawsuit in which the then board chair sued my assistant mm-hmm. who had um, overheard the conversation because he had dialed her on his cell phone. The matter was litigated. He lost. Eventually, um, the board chair, vice chair, and another member resigned. The A new county judge executive was elected, and he sort of spearheaded a movement to change the governance structure of the okay, board. Good. So it's a much better governance structure now. There, it's not that wonky, um, bifurcated board, right? Everybody at the table has an equal voice and an equal um, say in matters. There are, and it's made up of a variety of political constituencies, the bulk of which are, report, uh, are appointed by the Kenton County Judge Executive. Mm-hmm. You have um, two members appointed by the Boone County Judge Executive, one by Campbell County, one by Grant County, and then one by the governor of Kentucky. So um, a, a variety of political appointees all of whom are, though, are fabulous members of the business community Mm -hmm. with good business acumen who are there for the right reason to move the airport ahead. Um, You know, we've had, um, since that kind of the, you know, bad board incident, we've had a couple good board chairs. Right now, our board chair is Mike Schlotman, who's the EVP Mm -hmm. and CFO of Kroger, who I cannot say enough good things about. He's a really good, smart guy. Mm -hmm. I think the whole board, like I said, are really good um, folks with great business acumen who want the airport to Mm -hmm. succeed. What do you think was going on there? Um, You know, we've talked about cronyism, you know, the uh, 
um, the guys against, you know, the woman. I mean, what do you think was going on there? Well, I think it was, I have to say, I think it was probably um, some folks who were very comfortable with the old, old school way of doing things, old fashioned ways. They knew what they knew. They were uncomfortable with what they didn't know and maybe uncomfortable with uncharted territory. And um, we were really pushing to take the airport in a different direction, really focused on air service development and looking at cargo and really looking at the airport like a business mm -hmm. um, and diversifying the revenues versus maybe the way things had always been done. And so, you know, I think... Yeah. You know, some of them weren't willing to step out of their comfort zone mm -hmm. or trust that, you know, my team and I were going were to take them on the right journey. Yeah. And you came in every day knowing this, this is all going on. Employees asking you, what do mm -hmm. we do? What do we do? Oh, and they you're were, like, they hey, were reading about it on paper every day, right? Uh, keep your blinders on. Keep oh, moving in the direction of where we want to go. Yeah, no, right? no. So that was, it was a rough period um, for me personally, not because, you know, the some of these incidents were playing out in the paper that, you know, I knew what was going on. I knew that what was factual. And so it didn't bother me, uh, you know, some of the things that were being reported or even some of the things that are going on. It bothered me for the employees, you know, these people with whom, for whom I had a great deal of respect, but for the first time in their career, they were thinking about, shoot, maybe we should go find another employer. And what if she doesn't survive? And gee, the airport, you know, is it, is, is it, the re the reputation was sullied, and they didn't want to even talk about where they worked, and that that was hurtful to me. And I and I said to the team, I you know my leadership team, and then the employees as a whole, I said, look, stick with me. We're going to make our way through this. You all need to kind of keep your head down and do your work because that's what's going to carry the day. I'll take care of the outside things, but stay with me because we're, I'm going to survive this, and I know we're on the right path. And just just mm -hmm. come in here and and do your work, and I'll get you through it. We've talked about game face before. Did you believe that every time? I'm not not fully. <laughs> I didn't think I, so. I, I said it with great gusto. <laughs> and I uh, you. That's all it counts. Look, I said it with great gusto. And, um, yeah, and, and, and sometimes, you know, was, was it game face? Sure it was. Yeah, yeah. Sure and that, that's the message that, you know, I think is, is here. And that is that, you know, in your career, long careers like you and I have had, you're going to go through things. You know, and they're going to be things that you don't control, that you have to pick yourself up, take your shower, get your coffee, get your butt into work, and just do it. I say sometimes you just have to soldier on. And, yeah. you know, you just have to put your one foot in front of the other and get through it. Get through it. I saw my mom mm -hmm. do that over mm -hmm. and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I learned it. I saw it from her. And I, I brought that in. Didn't realize it. But the, the tough times I went through. You know, I had to just like just keep coming in and going. You you don't have the option of sleep, you know, laying in bed and just saying, I don't want I want this to all go away. Isn't you know? it funny? I do think um, in, in talking with a number of women, particularly strong women, it's because they had strong moms. Yeah. Right. Mine, mine was the Yours same. Was the right. Same. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, she had faced some, some adversity, you know, mm -hmm. in her personal life or over the course of time. Mm -hmm. And my mother never broke her stride. You know, she was great. She was she, game face on, would get mm -hmm. it done. Right. And it That's was, the way my mom was. Exactly, yeah. right? And she I, never missed work. I mean, I don't think she ever took a sick day on, in the 30 years I watched her work. No, say, she had say, all this accumulated time. Yeah, yeah, no, same with my mom. My mom was a nurse. And um, 
you know, I remember she she would start her shift at seven in the morning. So she always made sure we, she was at work at six thirty. You know, she had to get there, have a cup of coffee, and and one day when I started my first, you know paying job it wasn't a professional job a paying job as a kid and she said candy you, you know if your start time is eight that means you are at your desk sitting there ready to work at eight that doesn't mean you're work walking in the door putting down your coat etc right. no you are there ready to work right. and yeah that's the know, kind of work ethic i was exactly. raised with yeah yeah it's um great if you have a, a powerful mom right a, a strong mom yeah it did it, it got through to good me good role model. absorbed it yes yeah. indeed um we've talked about uh Trusting your instincts. Mm -hmm. I've heard you talk about that and trusting your gut. And I've said that as one of my things, that my gut has never been wrong, ever. Uh, there have been plenty of times when I don't trust it. I was going to say, did you disregard it? I or, yeah. disregarded it. And, I have to admit it that my intellect took over and thought, well, I don't know. That's probably a weird feeling I'm getting, but I just, I'm just going to keep going, you know. No, and, I But agree. every time. I you just agree. listen to it, right? Listen to your instincts. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how that is or why it is, right? Some people have asked me or, you know, you have a discussion of how do you develop that sense? And I don't know where that sort of survival I've always <laughs> instinct had it. comes from. Yeah. Oh, me too, right? And I and I have regretted when I have not listened oh, me to too. my yeah. to my first instinct. The red flags are mm -hmm. up, you're in denial because you see it and you don't want to see it and your gut's talking to you. So mm -hmm. follow your instincts. If it feels right, it probably is and if it doesn't feel right or if you if you don't feel like you can trust this person right or there's an alternate agenda going on you can and i think women have i think women have a knack for this you know that we come in and we read people we read situations in a way that 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 can be different than men yeah no, i think for i don't know whatever reason women have honed their emotional intelligence mm -hmm. more i don't know if it's because we've had to play so many roles over time right like wife mom and working and mm -hmm. juggling it all mm -hmm. at the same time that i have found successful women particularly have a higher emotional intelligence yeah. and yeah. so i do think that that's something you know i've read and several books, I was going to say a number, but not a number, but several books on the subject, right, on how you can hone that emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it is important to try to read your audience and understand where people are coming from. And and I think that's how you, you become better in negotiation. That's Sales. Because, yeah. You know, so many different things so it bleeds things. over into. It's really understanding people mm -hmm. and working mm -hmm. with them, but understanding where their motives are. Exactly. What, uh, what's going on and reading them. Mm-hmm. Well, listening to what they say, right? But then also watching and really body language, listening to what they're not saying, right? Yes, right. <laughs> what they're not saying, yeah. Um, you you had an experience that, and I've remembered this, hearing this about you from when it happened. But you had an experience that no no mother wants to have, mm -hmm. and that's the death of your sixteen year old son Luke from an overdose. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to bring that up as if you can. I'm sorry about that. No, thank you. Um, so, no, my son was a wonderful, wonderful boy. So he was our middle child, um, just a good kid who got a, caught up in a bad situation. And um, I learned at, when he was 15 that he was addicted to heroin, which was mm. just, you know, I, do, I still don't even have the words for right. Mm. It was just, you know, how how could that even happen? How yeah. did I miss it? You you know, you, you analyze it. And um, he went through rehab and, and tried a lot of things to, to stay well and be well. 
And unfortunately, he relapsed and it was a drug overdose. Um, he was 16. It was December of 2010. So it's coming up on nine years. Mm. Um, and it was a horrific experience that I wouldn't wish on, you know, my worst enemy, yeah. right? To lose the a worst child thing is, can happen, I think. Um, you know, you referenced earlier kind of all that you know, kind of bad board situation at the time and how do you keep your game face on. And and I have to say that experience was the one that rocked me to your core, right? When you, when you lose a child and if you can make it through that and still get out of bed every day and uh, put one foot in front of the other, there's, there's nothing worse that can happen or that anybody could ever do to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, right. Yeah. It's a worse thing. And we talked about this and, you know, it's like once you go through something like that and you still go through it every day, I'm sure mm-hmm. you, the anniversary comes mm-hmm. up. I mean, nothing can really get you like no. that. No, right? not at all. I, you know, it, it has made me completely fearless. Yeah. You know, and it's really, um, I have a good friend who lost a son last year of all mm-hmm. things, right? And um, I was her first phone call before she had even told her other children. She called and I went mm-hmm. over to her house and... It was just it was so so bad for her. Like I said, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And there was a good friend, mm. and um, we talked about it just just last week. And I and she said, you know, Candace, you often talk about how it made you fearless, and now I understand, right? You know, but for something happening to her children or something happening to my children, there's nothing worse than this world could happen. No. So um, right now, I'm like, bring it on. Whatever. I'm, Whatever I, I hope. I hope it's good. I, yeah. I, you know, wish nothing but goodness. But um, I'm ready to take on the world. Right. Yeah. It's all good. No, it's pretty yeah. obvious. Yeah. You are. Yeah. But um, anyway, he was a very good boy, and I'm always yeah. happy to talk about him. And yeah. the one thing that that grew out of that experience for me is what did I learn is. Um, how much people matter, right? At the end of the day, it's your relationships. It's how you treat people. Um, He was the kind of kid who um, knew no stranger. I think that's probably what got him in trouble, right? He was Mm -hmm. trusting and open and good and fun and um, and non-judgmental. And he was just um, um, full of life. And I, what I took from that is I, I hold no grudges anymore, right? Life's too short to hold yeah. a grudge, and it's about how you treat people in the end. Right. Yes, I agree. Say I love you mm-hmm. before you leave. Oh, you yeah. better believe, yeah. right? All those things that, you know, sound cliche, or, mm-hmm. you you know, maybe, you know, when I was a, a younger parent and I didn't appreciate Think I would I would think like oh well I can I can I'll help out with this tomorrow or I'll mm-hmm. go to the baseball game tomorrow whatever sometimes tomorrow doesn't come no. right you have to stop and do it now right? yeah stop and do it now yeah my mother uh, was having some health problems but she was getting better and it was July third two thousand sixteen we had all the kids in we ordered Montgomery and ribs you know mom was there. And she was feeling great, and uh, we all hugged and said goodbye. I said, I love you, and uh, she died in her sleep that night. Mm. Just it's gone, you know. And I'm so glad I hugged her and said I, I love gonna you. I was going to say, but you have a, a, a good memory of good it being memory. a good, a good, yeah. a, a, you know, a good party, Positive right? memory, but everybody was like, God, she was so good. This was all so fun. Well, you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. Well, exactly, right? Yeah. yeah, there shouldn't be harsh words left between people. No. You just don't know. no. Well, let's end with uh, kind of a catch-all question. Uh, This is about leading she or an executive with the airport. You've been at it for a while. People know you. People in town know you. You know, it's like (laughs) Candace. We don't say Candace McGraw. We say, you know Candace. Oh, yeah, I know Candace. It's like, um, what what advice would you give to young women that are in their 20s, 30s about being in a big corporation and leading it or rising the ranks? Mm -hmm. 
um, or running a business, what would you? What advice would you give? Yeah, so a few things I would say to some younger listeners, right, would be whatever job you're doing, take time to learn your craft, mm. become proficient in it, right? There, there, nothing makes up for anything other. If you if you know your work, people are going to respect you in, in it, right? So I would say really learn your craft. Mm-hmm. I would say um, get into situations and, and raise your hand, take on new assignments, mm-hmm. um, get in the mix. Not, not sort of in the obnoxious way of, you know, um, but but if there's a stretch assignment, volunteer to right. do it. Take the put initiative. the time in. Take right. the initiative. Um, put some time in. Mm-hmm. I would say um, be kind to your colleagues. Right. I think yes. the relationships yeah. around you matter, mm-hmm. and how you treat your colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because the reputation you form will stick with you over time. Right. right. And you want to be one of those people that um, are the go-to people for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would say that is important mm-hmm. and um, yeah yeah I think I I resonate too with what you're saying there with uh, really get to know your job being the best at it and part of that is making your boss look good oh, you know, being the, sure. more and more and a more team valuable player. right you know? uh, well right you know yeah you want to be you want to be a mm-hmm. valuable member of the team isn't mm-hmm. that why we all go to work every day yeah. right you you want to be a contributor, contributor so be a positive contributor and be right. a value mm-hmm. and I think, you know, when if you can do that and do it with a smile and not take yourself too seriously, perhaps, mm-hmm. right, then people will go to you for assignments, mm-hmm. advice, guidance, or when there's a project that say, hey, why, why don't we ask Susan to do it? She, mm-hmm. You know, she seems game. Like, mm-hmm. let's give her the opportunity. You know, and my career has taken all sorts of twists and turns mm-hmm. that I hadn't expected, but it was for for. For that reason, people would say, well, let, let's see if Candace would be interested yeah. in doing it. I get and, that a lot. We've you know, learned to say no, though, right? Sometimes we well, say no. <laughs> not often. <laughs> Maybe not often enough. If you talk to my assistant, she'll say, no, don't answer don't the take phone. Anything no, else no, on. Exactly. Don't take anything else on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Candace, for coming in. This has been great. Oh, thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at Leading She and visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.